So that's the kind of stuff we're talking about in this series. We're talking about things that we don't often talk about, but they're in the Bible. They just maybe are a little peculiar to us or make us uncomfortable. And uh, we're going to dive in and, and talk about all those things. First, let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that uh, today that you would be near us, that you'd speak to us, that you'd open up our hearts and our minds to perceive the wonderful things that you have planned for us and the things that you are capable of. Father, speak a word to each of our hearts. We need to hear from you. Uh, And we've got so many different needs in this room, and yet you are the source, the solution. You are the answer to, to everything that we really need. So provide for your people. Pray you'd speak through me clearly that I might be your vessel. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, probably about two years ago, I think it was, uh, one of my friends who's a dedicated volunteer here, also a cancer survivor, she went back to the doctor and found that uh, cancer was back in her body. As they did further tests, they discovered that the cancer was in her brain lining. It was a rare form of cancer that they had never caught that early before, so they were hopeful initially, but as they dug into it, they they pronounced that this cancer would be terminal. And she heard that news and she grieved and she shared it with those people who were important to her in her life and they grieved. Uh, She even went to the funeral home and began to plan her funeral service. She even picked out her casket. And along the way, we prayed for her family and we prayed for her peace and we prayed that God might do a miracle Well, as uh, she had some follow-up tests done to try to figure out the best way to treat, uh, not not to cure this disease or to heal it, she was terminal, but to help her die well, they began to see some oddities, things that didn't make sense, and uh, after several tests, they decided that whatever they saw before wasn't there anymore, that there was no cancer in her brain lining. My favorite part is they said they didn't know how to explain it. I think I can. Two years, maybe three years before that, we had another volunteer here, faithful volunteer in our Saturday night services. He, uh, he, he still volunteers in our Saturday night services, but he was, um, he was given also a terminal diagnosis. And uh, he also began to plan his funeral. And can you imagine? One night during one of our Saturday services, Steve Howard, who's sitting right over there, our senior pastor, um, he called him out and, and uh, we, people went and laid hands on him and prayed over him and again prayed for peace. Prayed for God's comfort, but prayed that God might do a miracle. And he went back to the doctor and ran some more tests, and they overturned his diagnosis. And five years later, he's still alive and well and with us, serving Saturday nights. Probably just a little over a month ago, we got an email from one of our faithful volunteers on Sunday mornings. And, and uh, he sent us an email saying that he had also been diagnosed with a terminal condition and um, asked for prayer, but said he was ready to bravely face it and Right about the time that we on staff began sharing that with each other and praying for him, we got another email saying that the condition didn't look as bad as they thought initially and that he'd probably die from something else before he ever died from this. Now the moral of these stories, you should totally volunteer here. Leave it to Howard to steal my thunder, man. But that's right, you should totally volunteer here. Um, Absolutely. Now, uh, if, if you hear those stories, and you know, I probably heard three more after our last service. If you uh, hear those stories, and there's a part of you that doesn't really go immediately go to the word miracle, but instead you go to the word mistake. 
You know, maybe they made a mistake in those early diagnoses. Someone must have read a scan wrong, or there was something messed up with the equipment, or, or maybe the doctor didn't really know what they were talking about. If your mind tends to go to mistake before miracle, hey, you're in good company. I don't blame you. Uh, I myself struggle sometimes when I hear miracle stories. I'm a pretty scientific, rational person, and, and there's a part of me that goes, is that a miracle, or is that just some sort of mix-up? I'll tell you today that, that I don't purport to be any kind of expert in miracles. Even after studying this the last week and uh, knowing this is coming and really uh, praying about all this, man, I, I cannot give you a final definitive word on miracles. And, and in fact, anyone who claims they can, you should be leery of that person. Because these things, by nature, are unpredictable. They're unusual. They're even supernatural. They can't be put into a box and, and studied. That's not what miracles do. That's, that's not how they run. It would be totally contradictory if you could. And see, skeptics of miracles and miracle believers alike, we all agree that miracles are impossible. We agree that they contradict the, the laws of science, that they aren't usual, that they don't make any sense. We all agree in that, and yet those of us who believe that miracles are possible, we still think they happen anyway. And yet there's one other thing that I think connects us all, whether or not we are warm to miracles or whether we're suspect, and that is that, that in our lives right now today, or maybe not in our personal lives, but somewhere in our, our sphere of influence, in our circle of friends, all of us, every one of us, is hoping for a miracle in some situation, and, and that unites us here today. And so today, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Acts chapter 3. We're going to go to a, a miracle that happened at the hands of some of Jesus's Followers, right after this event called Pentecost. Now, if you weren't here last week, Steve Hauer, the thunder stealer over there, um, Steve Hauer gave a great message on what Pentecost means and what, what the presence of the Holy Spirit means in your life. And I know a lot of you are still, you know, in coma from Easter candy and ham, and so you couldn't make it. Um, but make sure that you go back to our website and you listen to that message or watch that message online uh, because it's going to be really helpful for you. Because on this day called Pentecost, the door to the paranormal was opened. For all Christians. And suddenly, after that event, totally uh, irrational, inexplicable, unscientific things begin to happen, like the one we're going to study today. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 3. The words are up here. You can look in your Bible or on your smartphone. A miracle story. Uh, one day, Peter and John, these are two of Jesus' closest followers, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon. So this is only a few weeks after Jesus had risen and then ascended and then Pentecost came. The Holy Spirit was poured out. This is just a short time after that. They're going into the temple to pray. Now a man who is lame from birth. Now, now to our students, I just have to explain something. Your dad may also be lame from birth. This is not what this means. This means that this guy couldn't walk. He, he, had, he, had a, he had some sort of, he was born with some sort of deformity, some defect, some inability to walk. His legs weren't able to do that. So that's totally different than whatever's going on in your family, just so you know. Um, now, but God can heal that too. It's okay uh, if you ask him to. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting 
to get something from them. Man, this is just an aside, but I, but I love this. You know, Peter and John, they, they walk by this man begging at the temple courts. They're, you know, they're late for church like a lot of us are. They're trying to get in there. This guy's sitting there, you know, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. They're, and, 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 and what do we do in those situations? You know, either we just walk by, or if we've got something to throw in, you know, their cup or their bucket, we might do it with a, with a brief glance at them and then quickly look away to avoid the awkwardness, right? That's, that's how we handle those situations. I, I love that it says here that Peter and John, they look at this man and they demand his intention in return. They say, look at us. See, for them, they're not going to look at this man as if he's some diagnosis or disease, some label. They're going to connect with him as a person. And, and I just love this. This is true about the heart of God and I think it should be true of every one of his followers that when we look at people, no matter what their situation, we don't see a situation or a diagnosis. We don't see a stereotype or a skin color or anything else. We just see people. People whom God loves, who he's passionate about, whom he created. People that are in need of his love and favor and are in need of connection. And I just think, man, wouldn't this be awesome if we as the people of God evidence the heart of God for people in this way as we just lived life every day. It'd be, it'd be incredible. That's all I'm going to say about that. Watch what happens. So this guy's sitting there, and he looks at him because he's waiting to get something. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Are you following this? I mean, here's a man who has never walked a day in his life, and suddenly, with these words spoken in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And Peter extends his hand, and, and the man suddenly gets up, and he can stand. Not only can he stand, he can walk. Now, how long does it take someone to walk, to learn to walk? A long time, right? It takes toddlers a long time. People who once knew how to walk, who, who get in an accident, it takes physical therapy for weeks and weeks in order to get them strong enough to walk again. And this man instantly is not just standing, he's walking. He's not just walking. What else is he doing? He's jumping. This man who's never stood up in his life is jumping around in the temple courts praising God. And I know what you might be thinking right now. You might be thinking, impossible. And you're right. It is impossible, and yet it happened. And yet some of you might be thinking, man, this must be a scam. If this really happened, it, this must be some sort of scam. This guy must have been a plant. If that's what you're thinking, hold on and, and watch what happens next. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him. As the man, the same man, who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So, so if you're thinking this guy was a plant, you know, Peter just sent the guy over from the last town a few days ahead. and said, hey, go hang out by the temple for a couple days. And, and uh, then I'm going to come and we'll fake heal you and people are going to be amazed and give us money. <laughs> it's not what's happening here. These people, these faithful people in Jerusalem who went to the temple every day to pray. They saw this guy sitting there every day. From the time his folks died or someone decided in his family that he wasn't worth taking care of anymore. 
That man sat there begging, and they saw him. They knew him. They knew his condition. See, there was no question for, for them that something happened here. This man who couldn't walk and was a beggar his whole life is now walking, jumping, praising God. He's, he's moved from the gate to inside the temple courts. He's a part of the community. Not in some back room did this happen. It happened right out there in the open in front of everyone. Now, now just think for a second. If you're a skeptic, think about how easy this miracle would be to discredit if it weren't true. Just think about any of the miracles in the Bible. All it would take is, is one investigative reporter, because News 4 works for you or whatever it is, right, to show up and, and to prove that one of these miracles was false, that it was, it was a bait-and-switch thing or it was a plant. It would only take one of those stories, and this whole movement would have fallen flat on its face. Early Christians didn't have any power or influence. They didn't have any money. They had nothing to fuel their movement other than the supernatural blessing of God. And so everyone has seen this man. They know this man. They understand what has happened there today. And they're absolutely amazed. And watch what happens next. Well, the man held on to Peter and John. I mean, this man is ecstatic. His life has been changed. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Uh, why does it surprise you? Because this guy that we saw every day of our lives at the temple courts who couldn't walk is now jumping around with us in Solomon's colonnade. Why does this surprise us? We've just seen a miracle. And he goes on. He says, why do you stare at us as if by your own power or godliness we had made this man walk? No, no, no. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. See, this isn't about some new thing. This isn't some new God. It's not like we're Jesus followers and we're leaving behind the old ways. We're talking about the same God who appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God that our fathers knew. He has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though Pilate had decided to let him go. You disowned, do you get this? You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you in his place. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. See, I told you I'm not an expert in miracles. I don't, I don't claim to be, but I can tell you a few things about miracles that, that maybe you don't know or maybe you don't think about very often. And the first is this, that, that miracles are about witness. That's what Peter said. You know, it's interesting. Peter um, is, is not doing a miracle here for himself. And yet for us, how often when we're praying for a miracle, when we're really looking for a miracle, is it something that's personal to us? You know, it's, it's us, our lives. It's, it's someone close to us. And you know, that's not bad. That's not wrong. That's okay. You should ask for miracles in your own life and for people who you love in their lives. But I wonder how many more miracles might happen if we didn't just ask for miracles that were for us, but instead if we asked God to do miracles through us. You know what's fascinating to me? 
To me, Jesus didn't do miracles to help himself. I mean, all the miracles that Jesus did, he, he didn't do them to help himself. He was tempted to do miracles to help himself, and he refused every time. On the cross, people scorned him, and they said, he could save others, but he can't save himself. But Jesus wasn't into doing miracles for himself. He was more interested in, in the miracles that would happen through him in the lives of others. You know, around here, we talk about four numbers that are really important. Uh, we call them 1, 1, 15, 6. And uh, I've done a bad job of talking about these lately, and they're so important. Because for most of us, we're trying to figure out what it means to be on a journey with God. We're trying to figure out how to grow, how to deepen our faith, how to, how to increase that relationship. And it's so nebulous. And, and so we just picked four numbers and, and we assigned four behaviors to them. And we said, you know, if you do these four things, and these are not like sacred things that God gave us on stone tablets from a mountain. Uh, these are just four things that, that we know from experience that they work, they matter. He said, if you do these four things, over time you will see that you will, you will grow closer to God, your relationship will deepen, your life will become more impactful, God will use you for more things. Uh, it, it's exactly what we're all here for, it's what we want. Um, so we talk about these four numbers, and I can't talk about them all today, but that last one, the six, he said, live the six other days serving God by serving others. Live the six other days serving God by serving others. So we do this on day one. The other six days, we're living our lives serving God by serving others. See, God doesn't need your service. He's fine, thank you. But your neighbors do. Other people do. And so the way we show our love to God, the way we serve God, is by loving our neighbor, by serving our neighbor. That's what living the six is all about. And, and long before we ever wrote this down, Peter was doing this. Right? He's walking into the temple court. He's late for church, and there's this guy who has a need. And Peter stops and says, I don't have gold or silver, but I can give you something more incredible. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. This total stranger. You know, Peter intercedes in his life for, for a total stranger, and God does a miracle through him. See, I think so often we're asking for miracles for us. And what would happen if we began to ask that God would do miracles through us? And if we live life with an awareness of the fact that God may do something miraculous by, by a prayer that we say with someone at work, by an act of compassion that we show to someone, that through us God might do miracles, not just for us. All right, so here's the other thing uh, that I can tell you about miracles. Uh, that miracles point to Jesus and what he's yet to do. They point to Jesus and to what he's yet to do to do. I, I don't know if you noticed there as we were reading through Acts 3, um, everyone's amazed at this miracle and Peter starts talking and he immediately changes the subject. And he says, hey, 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 this isn't about this guy and it's not about me. Don't look at us as if we did this by our own power or righteousness. We didn't. He said, this is all about Jesus. And then he went on and, and he had that whole statement there of, of, you killed the author of life. You know, Jesus, the one that you killed, the author of life. And then he goes on and he says, but God raised him from the dead. See, for Peter, this miracle, this miracle, as amazing as it was, was all in service to pointing to the greater miracle. And that greater miracle is the resurrection of Jesus. See, we should see miracles in the same way. Every little miracle that God does is, is, is pointing to, it's in service to the greatest miracle that God has ever done. When, when humanity killed the Holy One that he sent, and yet then God raised him from the dead. 
See, see, the big miracle, the miracle that matters more than every other miracle is the miracle of the resurrection. Why does it matter more? Because in the resurrection, Jesus is vindicated. In the resurrection, there's no more doubt about who he is. Because God wouldn't raise a con man who went around claiming to be the son of God who wasn't really the son of God. He wouldn't raise him from the dead. God wouldn't raise a false teacher from the dead. God wouldn't raise a deceptive miracle worker from the dead. God would only raise a guy who was honest and truthful about everything he said said and did in his life. That's the kind of guy that God would raise from the dead. So, so the resurrection is the miracle that matters. I mean, that's why these guys, Peter and John, ultimately went to the ends of the earth testifying to this miracle, even under the threat of death. I mean, if God did a miracle in your life today, and, and you were pretty sure it was God, and someone showed up on your doorstep tomorrow and said, hey, if you ever talk about this miracle again, we'll kill you. My guess is, if you're anything like me, you go, Okay, I mean, fine, I won't talk about it, but it still happened, and I'm just going to keep it to myself. These guys were so convinced that this miracle mattered, that it was the most important miracle God had ever done, that they gave their lives to testify to it. You see, this miracle, the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus, is the only miracle that's permanent. So this guy who received the ability to walk and jump, guess what? Someday his body was going to fail him again. Those who were raised from the dead by Jesus, and even by guys like Paul, man, you know what? They're going to die again. Even the blind who receive their sight, they're going to close their eyes in death again. Those miracles are all temporary. Every miracle we can get in this life is ultimately temporary. But Jesus' resurrection, that's a lasting miracle. That's permanent. So you see, every one of these other miracles, they are aftershocks pointing to the great miracle that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God because God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of these things. So miracles are meant to point to Jesus, but also they point to what he's yet to do. And I think this is really important. They not only point back to the cross into the empty tomb, but they point ahead to the fact that Jesus is coming back. You know, for you, if it ever seems unfair that in Jesus' ministry he only healed some people, and only helped some people, and only fed some people. If that seems unfair to you, it is unfair. And yet, when Jesus comes back, he will do for all what he only did for some while he was on the earth. Do you get that? And so as you're looking at someone else, or you're hearing stories about someone else who got a miracle, whose cancer was put into remission, and yours isn't, instead of being angry, use that miracle as a way to point to Jesus in the miracle of his resurrection, but also remember that someday, when Jesus comes back, he's going to do all of those miracles for you. Not just in your spirit, but in your body as well. So miracles, they're not just about the miracle themselves, they're not about the person who receives them, they're not even about the person who does them, they're about Jesus and what he's yet to do. And then I'll say this that miracles only work for those who are open. For those who, who are open, for those who are not closed or hardened. You know, we make way too much of miracles sometimes. We act like, hey, miracles, that, that's the, those are the big guns. But really, they're only one tool in God's toolbox. Seriously. But too often we look at someone else who gets a miracle and we think, man, God must really love them because they got a miracle. 
Or we look at people in our lives who maybe doubt, and we say, God, if you just do a miracle, it would be so easy, they would believe, right? Some of you are sitting here today thinking that. Like, I'm not sure about all this, but God, if you just, if you just made some, someone in my family healed like this, like we just saw in Acts 3, then, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. It's not how it works. It's never been how it works. It's not how it worked back in Jesus' day. Jesus walked around, and, and he just had miracles following him everywhere he went. I mean, he, he's just, just leaving behind a wake of miracles. And you know what? Some people, they believed. Some people were encouraged. Some people said, this guy has to be the Christ, and they followed him. They left everything and followed him. And you know what a bunch of other people did? They got angry. And with every miracle, they got angrier. Until finally, he did so many miracles that they said, we've got to kill this guy. See, see if you think miracles are, are the grand solution to everything and, and that they'll change the skeptical heart of, of yourself or someone in your family, you're wrong. That's not the way it works. See, miracles are for those who are open. If you're open-hearted, if you're open to the possibility, miracles will encourage you in your faith. They will confirm what you believe already about God. But, but man, if you're closed off, if you believe that, that nothing spectacular can happen, then guess what? Even if God does a miracle, you'll find a way to explain it away. Your hard heart will only get harder in the presence of a miracle. See, miracles are not the cure-all. They have always been polarizing. Back in Jesus' day and even today. I think even more today, because we're more closed than ever. We're more skeptical than ever. You know, back in Jesus' day, uh, people expected miracles. They believed miracles could happen. The only question for them was, all right, who's responsible for this miracle? My God or your God or someone else's God that we haven't heard about yet? They were so much more open to the supernatural than we are, but for us today, no, 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 we've got a new God in town, and that God is named Science. And so even, and and again, I'm a scientific guy, but even where science has not spoken, when we we have a miracle story, where do we go first? We, We go to a natural scientific explanation. Even where science cannot speak or has not spoken, we would rather give credit to science than to God. And see, that's why I think Peter's words at the end of his speech are so important. He says, by faith. You know, how does this happen? By faith in the name of Jesus. By faith in the name of Jesus, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. So here we go, right? Now now I'm going to tell you that uh, you've got to have enough faith to get a miracle. And that if you haven't been given a miracle, it's because your faith is too small. Well, you know what, that, that's partially true. I've already told you, hardened people, a miracle won't change anything. If you're hard-hearted and you're waiting on a miracle to convince you, it won't convince you. I promise you, you will find a way to explain it away, even if there is no explanation. Just how we work as people. But if you're open, if you're open, not only can God do a miracle, but if you're open... When God does a miracle, it will do what the miracle is intended to do. It will help strengthen and encourage you in your faith in Jesus. Now, how much openness then is necessary? 
I mean, that should be the question we're all asking. Okay, how open do I have to be? Well, apparently, from Acts 3, you don't have to be very open. Because this guy, this, this crippled beggar, he wasn't following Jesus around. <laughs> He's sitting by the temple gates begging for money. He's not a part of the, of the early church movement. Sure, he'd probably heard about Jesus because everyone in Jerusalem had heard about Jesus. And yet, he was no great man of faith or devotion or conviction. And yet, and yet, he was obviously open enough that when Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk and extended his hand, the man tried to get up. See, he's no hero of the faith. He's no, no great man of, of, of faith. Not at all. But he was open. Now, I love what, what Steve Howard said last week in his message. He said, he said, reasonable people are limited to reasonable outcomes. And here's a caution to all of us in this room who tend to be reasonable, rational people. If, if we are close to anything that is not reasonable, we will live a reasonable life. But even though you're reasonable and rational, if you are open to the possibility that things can happen that are not reasonable or rational when God is involved, then you'll see the miraculous in your life. And all that together, um, if I could sum that all up, I I would say this, that for all those reasons, I still believe that miracles uh, still happen today. There it is. Can I prove this? No. But I believe it. And uh, as, a, as a pastor, I'm in a unique position where I get to connect with a lot of lives in crisis. And man, I see God do some crazy stuff. I believe that God can still do miracles, that he is capable and that he's willing and that he's active. For all the reasons we talked about, that, that the world still needs a witness. And uh, for the fact that miracles still need to point to Jesus. And, and the words that should be on that screen right now. Let's hope for a miracle. See, amazing things happen. It's incredible. Um, and uh, I, I believe that we all need encouragement in our faith. And we're 2,000 years from the miracle of the resurrection. Don't we need encouragement in our faith to believe that this is real, that, 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 that the resurrection of Jesus is not just some story, but that it's true and that it's real? See, I believe not just in the everyday miracles of childbirth and, and nature and I mean, those things are extraordinary, but, but they're natural. God put them in his created order. I believe in the paranormal stuff, the supernatural stuff, the inexplicable stuff that defies any explanation. I believe that God is still capable and is still doing miracles today because I see them. I hope you believe that too. But here's one other thing I'll say before I, I close up here. Um, over the last couple of months on Facebook, I've, I've seen as someone I grew up with back in Michigan, uh, she's, a, she's a single mom. I've seen as she's shared her struggle with her 18-year-old son, who a year ago was diagnosed with a rare form of lymphoma. His name's Zach. And uh, I, you know, I, we knew each other when we were younger, and I was just very impressed by the faith that God has given her through this, through this whole thing. And I, I just watched as she spoke words of faith and possibility and as she spoke words of gratitude, even in the midst of some really awful things, because his treatment was not going well, and, and, uh, and, and she, it just seemed to me that she was doing everything that a person should do, a, a Christ follower should do, to position herself for the miraculous intervention of God, if he wanted to do that. Uh, and then on Thursday afternoon, I saw that um, that didn't happen, that instead 
Zach went home to Jesus on Thursday afternoon. And uh, immediately my heart sank because I was hoping and praying along with everyone else for a miracle. But, but I want you to know that for me, for me, that doesn't change anything that I believe about miracles. I still think they're possible. I still think they happen more than we think. I still think that, that God is in the business of doing miracles in people's lives. In fact, I believe the greatest miracle of all is, is that God took death, that he takes death again and again. Death, which is, which is our enemy, the Bible says, our final enemy. And I, I think it's just miraculous that God takes death, our mortal enemy, our final enemy. And for those who believe, he turns death into his servant. So that death is no longer an enemy, but it is this servant that carries us into the presence of Jesus. I think that's miraculous. But here's what I want to say to you. In case you're someone who is uh, hoping for a miracle right now in your life. Instead of the big flashy miracle that God may or may not give you. Instead of the big awe-inspiring miracle that God may or may not do in your life or through your life. There's another miracle that I've learned about over the course of my life, and that is the miracle of God's provision. That even while you're waiting on God to do the miraculous, he does a lot of little miracles along the way. He holds you up, and he keeps you, and he provides for you, and he protects you. He sends resources so that you can get through till next payday and, and he gives you strength to face grief that is unimaginable. That, that there, is, there is something miraculous that, 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 that God gives us in situations that should crush us. And I've watched people endure things that no person should have to endure or should be able to endure and yet I've watched them endure those things with dignity and strength and with gratitude and to me that is a miracle. And so today, regardless of whether you're a skeptic when it comes to miracles or a believer when it comes to miracles, I know that in your life or in the lives of people around you, we all need, we're all hoping for a miracle. And today, I just hope that you leave this place a little more open at what God might do. Maybe the big flashy thing or maybe the miraculous nature of his provision in dozens of small things. Either way, I pray that you would look for it, and I want to pray for that for all of us right now. Father, open up our hearts and our minds so that we might be able to see your work in our lives and through our lives. God, we, we ask for miraculous things, and I, I know there are situations in this room that require miracles because there are illnesses that bad and, and relationships that are that broken and finances that are that much of a mess that, that they require the impossible to happen. And, and Father, we believe that you're capable of that. Help us in our unbelief. Help us in our doubt to just remain open enough to be able to see your miraculous hand at work. And God, where you choose to do miracles, use those things to point us back to Jesus and to testify to your goodness to uh, get excited about what you will yet do in this world when, when Jesus comes back. Father, um, I pray that you would do both big and small things in our lives, but that you would reserve all credit and honor and glory for yourself. 
that we may know you better, that we may love you more fully. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, we're going to end our service with what I think is a miracle, the miracle of 